If you're new this morning, we are right in the middle of a four-part sermon series that we've entitled uh, Messy Grace. And I want to affirm to you first thing at the start of this message. I I want you to hear from me that we are saved by God's grace. We don't deserve it. Grace is often uh, defined as the unmerited favor of God. God's grace. It is un- we are undeserving of his love, his arm stretched out in an embrace. We do not deserve it. We cannot do anything on our own to deserve it. You can't do enough right. Likewise, you can't do enough wrong for God to say, I don't want you. We're in the middle of this series called Messy Grace because in reality, as God's perfect, unmerited favor, His love, His acceptance, His desire for us to turn to Him is so perfect, it's so wonderful, it's so beautiful that when it intersects with our brokenness, our humanity, our junk, our mess, it looks like messy grace. Two Sundays ago, we learned specifically that love is that tension of grace and truth. And again, some of you hoped that I would slap myself with a rubber band. We looked specifically at John chapter 8 and the woman caught in adultery and how Jesus handled that scenario with perfect grace and truth and taught us the example that we are to go into the world with the same. Last week, we discovered through the story of Jonah specifically that truth leads us to the grace that we so desperately need. The truth of the gospel, that God loves us, that God wants more for us than maybe we even know we want for ourselves. The truth that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect, blameless life for the likes of us reminds us that we need grace. And it evens the playing field. It puts things on the lowest common denominator to remind us that all of humanity longs for, needs the grace of God. This morning, we're going to continue the conversation. And I want us to look specifically at the idea of messy love. And in that idea, how it is we are to think about people. Let's be real. Let's be real this morning. I, I, I think I can be real with you. I think uh, I have earned the right to be honest with you that there are some people in our lives that we're not going to like. There was one chuckle from this side. Everybody look over there. <laughs> Do you have someone in your life that you just don't like? Point at them. No, don't. <laughs> I almost got you. A couple people pointed up here. That was weird. No. People in our lives, I don't know who it is, maybe you came to church with them this morning. I don't know if that's the case, that it's somebody in your immediate family who today, right here, right now, you're like, I just don't like them. I want to ease the tension just a little bit. I don't, I don't know what your drive to church this morning looked like, but chances are, hopefully, please Lord, it didn't look as bad as this video. Watch this real quick. Babe, can you hurry up? I can't figure out how to buckle this thing. We're going like three miles. It's, Who cares? All right, Leave fine. it. What are you doing? 
It's dry shampoo. Do you think I have time to shower? Why do you need that? Just wake up earlier. Oh, maybe if you'd help me with the kids, okay. I could bathe. I do everything in this house. Can I? Can you, Babe, can that seatbelt thing drives me crazy. It gives me a headache. Can you buckle up? Please? Okay, maybe if you would do your job, I wouldn't have to. Mom, Dylan's mad. Why? Why is he mad? Because he lost his triceratops. Triceratops? Okay, triceratops aren't even in the, not Bible. in the Bible. Okay, they don't we learn creation. Here, put some of this under your eyes. Did you, you not get any sleep? I got plenty of sleep. I'm fine. What? Daddy stayed up playing poker. Okay, enough. Play with the Barbies. Can you please learn how to drive? Listen, do your makeup at the house. I don't have time. What is this, chocolate or poops? Baby, I'm trying to put my lipstick on. If hey, you could... He's, le he's learning about David and Goliath. Just let him shoot, okay? Throw that gun. Mom, Dylan wants to watch videos on Dad's phone. Oh, I'm sorry, sweetie. Tell Dylan that Daddy's texting and driving and okay, he can't listen, use I'm it. I'm navigating, all right? I'm on the GPS. Okay, maybe if you went to church more, you wouldn't have to look up where it is. Can you stop hitting your brother, please? I promise you, if I have to pull this car over, these spankings are about to be deep and wide. If your mother didn't have so many headaches at night, then maybe I wouldn't be such an irritable mood. Get control of your family. Can you get control of the steering wheel, please? How long has this coffee been in here? I don't know, since last week. I don't care. You're in charge of the kids. Oh, I'm in charge of the kids? Uh, I don't know. Wives, submit to your husbands. Ever read that verse? You ever heard the song, It Takes Two to Make a Thing Go Right? That's not a Bible verse. Sorry, kids. It sounds like Daddy needs a little N-A-P-T-I-M-E. Okay, maybe Play Mommy needs some M-E-R-L-O-T again. Where is Barbie? Barbie's staying at home today. Okay, maybe Barbie stayed at home because she put on her makeup at the house. Maybe Barbie needs a new kin. But please, can I have that? And you would have another baby? We're not going to the playground! Quiet, I can't handle it. We are going to church. Well, I hope the sermon series is on patience today. Okay, what? You need it. What? Where is it? Can you give me that? playground! We're not... If you guys can act good for just two hours, we'll take you to Pizza Hut after church, okay? Did you just bribe yummy, our yummy. children? It's the only thing that works. We're about to go into church. Will you put your phone on silent? Okay, maybe you should put your voice on silent. Okay. Hey, we're like 15 minutes late to church. Should we just act like visitors and park in the front? I don't know. We got to put on our flashers for that. Should we just drop the kids off and go to lunch? Do we even do that? We tithe enough. We shouldn't. Mom, Dylan said he has to pee. Let him pee in his pants. I don't care. We have the diaper bag, sweetie. It's the church nursery's problem. No, we're not watching Moana on the way to church. On the way to church, it's always VeggieTales. On the way home, you can watch whatever you want. We literally don't care. Why on the way to church is it always VeggieTales? It's, it's Christian. Christian. Is it okay to laugh at that? It is so good to laugh at someone else's scenario. Can I also tell you, it is so good uh, that the reality is, in our family, I'm here a couple hours before my family. <laughs> so that there's no footage of uh, the conversations that no doubt would be happening. Are there people in your life that you're just not getting along with, people that you've kind of ruled out. It's not just drive time, family, stress, dislike that I'm referring to this morning, but the reality is that every one of us, I believe it, every one of us, I, I think we're being honest if we admit this, that there are people that we are just not going to like. 
Maybe it's someone we work with. Maybe it's someone uh, whose face just popped up in your mind as I'm talking about this. Someone whose cubicle you make sure to go around and make sure that you don't have to interact with as you're walking to the restroom and the office. Maybe it's someone you go to school with and you do that, that thing with your cell phone when you see them coming in the hallway and you're like, oh, there's that. I got a text. I got to stay down right here. Maybe it's someone who's a neighbor, and as soon as you see them showing up in the neighborhood, you're quick to shut the garage door. We do life every day with people that we don't necessarily like. They may be in our families, they may be our neighbors, they may be our co-workers. Sometimes the dislike comes from the actions of the other person, right? Maybe it's someone who is a a known gossip in your community, in your circle of influence. Maybe it's someone who who talks a lot. Maybe it's someone who said one too many bad things about your mom. (laughs) Maybe they laugh at your walk of faith or the fact that you were baptized. Maybe it's someone who's cheated, cheated you in the past. Maybe it runs deeper than that. Maybe they are an abuser. Maybe it's someone who's taken advantage of you, someone who's manipulated you, someone who very well may have stabbed you in the back. Whatever the case, there is hurt in our world, in our reality of human life. And we we know, we can know, we can know and we can believe that we have to forgive. And maybe we have. But simply because we've forgiven someone doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to become best friends with someone who's manipulated or hurt us. Sometimes our our dislike of another human being is from the sin in our own lives as well. Sometimes we dislike people who don't look like us. Sometimes we dislike people who don't listen to the same kind of music as us. Sometimes we dislike people who don't care for their property like we think they should, and we tell our family every chance we drive by their house they should. Maybe we dislike people because of the sin of racism or prejudice or any other kind of discrimination. The reality is, the truth is, here's what's real. If we're going to be good leaders, if we're going to lead well in our families, in our schools, in our businesses, if we're going to lead well in, in, in church circles, if we are going to be leaders in this world, wherever it is, we have to become very good at loving people with whom we don't necessarily get along or like very much. And the unfortunate reality, you know this, is not going to come as any surprise to you. We as Christians, we instantly get lumped in. If you bear the name of Christ today in 2019, oftentimes we are instantly lumped into an entire group of people who, again, no surprise, hasn't done a very good job at representing the one who loves everyone. I wish it wasn't the case. I wish, I wish it wasn't the case that the church is most often known for what we are against. We've got some highlights that are known pretty publicly about what it is we stand against because of God's word. And we haven't been known in our world as an entity that is for love. The truth is, in a lot of ways, over the past 2,000 plus years since Jesus, the Son of God, came and lived his perfect life, 
Since Jesus was here and taught us of the kingdom of heaven, since Jesus was here and crucified, buried, and resurrected, since Jesus left behind the church, Big C Church, to carry on his mission, the fact is we have, as the church, often been distracted and off track. You guys ever see this, this painting of Jesus laughing? It's wonderful. I forget who drew it. Drew it. I can look. Nope. Can't read that signature. Third grader, I think. Jesus laughing, pretty famous, I love it. My sister and I, uh, one year for Father's Day, we gave my dad a big painting of this as, as a way of just saying, Dad, thanks for reminding us that we can laugh. I, I love thinking about Jesus laughing. I think he would have laughed a little bit at that video that we showed this morning. And maybe this isn't the best representation of a historical figure uh, of Jesus, but uh, this is a, a color version of a painting of Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever done this before, but it's kind of a fun thing to do if you've got nothing else to do in the office. You can take a, a picture like this and run it through your copier and make a copy of it. And you know what happens? You come out with black and white if you're like us, because <laughs> we don't like to pay for the color copies. So if you run a color copy of a picture of Jesus through the copier, and you make a copy of it, you get this, right? First copy. Still looks pretty good, right? We lost some colors, obviously, but we've got a, colored co or a copy uh, of Jesus. And then we have this. We run the same copy through the copier now, the printed version, the copied copy. And then we get a little bit less and a little bit more faded and a little bit more, and it's happening on the screen behind me. You see what happens as we continue to experience what happens so often in our world as we copy the copies of Jesus. You, you ever see this? You understand what I'm talking about? We copy the copy, and we copy that copy, and we do it again and again and again when, after 20 copies, if you didn't know, that that was originally a colored copy of a famous painting of Jesus laughing. You probably wouldn't be able to make it out. It's really pixelated. It's hard to make out. And in reality, here we are, 2,000 years plus of making copies, often copies of copies. Uh, of maybe trying to do a little bit better than the generation before us or the ones who bore the name of Christ before us. And the truth is, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, looks a lot different than the copies of copies of copies that generations have continued to experience Jesus looks a lot different than the way many of us have been guilty of treating other people created in the image of Almighty God. And this is what I want us to wrestle with together this morning. We need to re-understand how to truly love people, I believe, as the church, to treat people, those created in the image of God, with value. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 and let's let Jesus do the talking. Let's, let's not try to simply come up with a good idea. Let's go back. One of the beauties of the reality that we have as you're turning there to Matthew chapter 5, uh, the reality is that we have a, a access to some interactions with Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, uh, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament written by Matthew. Surprise, surprise, right? 
Matthew is one of Jesus' disciples, and Scripture is clear that Matthew was called out of a life of being a tax collector. That was not a famous job back then. It was not a, a coveted job. He was not liked in his community for the role he played, often known for cheating and stealing from his beloved friends, family, and neighbors. Matthew is called to a life of being a fisher of men by Jesus. And Matthew's an eyewitness to the teachings of Jesus. He's an eyewitness to the experiences of Jesus. He walked the road with Jesus. He got dusty with Jesus. He laid down on the side of the road with Jesus. He experienced the ministry of Jesus firsthand. And he wrote this gospel to uh, the early Jewish people. Scholars have said that uh, of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew writes his with the attitude of defending the Messiahship of Jesus. His lineage, as he tells it in the beginning parts of Matthew, Matthew delivers this idea, this reality that Jesus truly is the Messiah. And as we look here in Matthew chapter 5, we have to start at a, at a place of understanding what was going on in the, the life of Christ, the life and time of Christ as this was written. If you remember, in Jesus' day, the people of Israel the Jewish people are under the thumb of the Roman government. They are not thriving. Instead, they're hiding. It's important for us to remember this, that the, the Jewish people in Jesus' day were desiring a Messiah who would come and conquer. To bring them out of the oppression that comes with a tyrannical government like the Roman government that was holding them hostage. They were desiring a Messiah who would arrive on the scene and put them into this holy huddle formation and lay out this God-given plan to bring them, to bring God's chosen people into power. Literally, they were desiring a Messiah who would help them to conquer the world, military style. The Jews were hoping for a machine gun preacher. <laughs> And when they're introduced to Jesus, they found someone altogether different. Jesus throws the Jewish people a curveball in his teaching. And they didn't expect it. Here in Matthew 5, we, we find what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' most famous sermon recorded in Scripture. And I want you to dive into this passage. I want to read these verses together. And I, I want you to feel the curveball like they might have felt it. Let me read verses 38 to 48. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' words, starting in verse 38. Jesus says, You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist any evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer them the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. 
If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Verse 48, but you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Can you put yourself at the base of this mount as Jesus is delivering this powerful sermon? Can you imagine being Matthew in this context? Jesus even calls out tax collectors. Can you imagine being in this holy huddle, this group of people who no doubt have had the rumors that this teacher, this rabbi, this guy, this laughing Jesus, he very well may be the Messiah. Can you, hear, can you hear the murmurings that are going on in the neighborhoods and towns? And they're gathered in this place to hear from this teacher. And here he goes. He instantly starts to quote, Matthew chapter 5, he instantly starts to quote from the Old Testament law. It, it, it's beautiful in this moment because he's, he's quoting from Leviticus 24, the law of God. Leviticus 24, verses 19 and 20 say this, Anyone who injures another person must be dealt with according to the injury inflicted. Verse 20, a fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Whatever anyone does to injure another person must be paid back in kind. Jesus is saying to this group of hungry people, maybe, maybe they're gathered in this place hoping that Jesus is about to reveal to them where his stash of weapons is. Because he's about to overthrow the Roman government. He's about to help embrace the Jewish people as the rightful heir. Jesus says, remember God's law, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Jesus uh, affirms that there was a time where God allowed that kind of justice to take place. Where getting even was the way. Jesus said, God doesn't allow that anymore. Can I be honest? Can we be honest? We'd rather stick with Leviticus 24 than Matthew chapter 5. Is that too harsh? Isn't, isn't that more like us as human beings? Wouldn't we, maybe even as Christians, when someone does something wrong to me, when someone does something bad to me, you know what we like to do about that? We like to talk bad about the person. We, we, we do a little bit better than what we've been told in Leviticus 24 that we're allowed to do. Someone does something to me, something says something about my mama, something about my church, something about my family, something about... My blue jeans? We go talk bad about that person. We say, serves them right. That's how we get back. Somebody mistreats me, it feels good to use all of those great words we learned in middle school, right? And to flip them back on that person with all the emotion and anger that we have within us. Eye for an eye, yeah! Then comes Jesus. Jesus says, that's not how we're going to operate anymore. That is no longer allowed. We're going to do things differently. In fact, if someone slaps you on the cheek, give them the other cheek to slap as well. Jesus goes on, if, if you're sued for your shirt, give them your coat. This is starting to get ridiculous. Can you imagine? Then Jesus does it. Jesus brings in those dirty, rotten Roman guards, soldiers. Jesus says, if a Roman soldier who, who very, the, the reality is lost on us, who very likely may have killed members of your family, 
He, he may have burned your house down just for fun. Jesus says if one of them asks you to carry their gear for one mile, which was a common thing for them to do, Jesus says carry it for two. Imagine the murmuring going on in the crowd. Who's this guy? And Jesus continues, Give to those who ask. Don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Listen, we don't have to be a part of Jesus' time. We don't have to uh, go back in time somehow magically. We don't even have to be a Christian here uh, this morning to understand the reality of what Jesus is asking us to do here. Because the reality is there's some people that we don't want to let borrow anything in our life. And, and maybe it's just me. There, there's some things that I have that if someone specific came and asked for it, I would not answer my door. Anybody else? Well, why? I don't want to have to go buy it back from the pawn shop. I don't want to have to wait six months to ask them for it back and then go, oh, was that really yours? I thought I got that from Roger. Jesus doesn't stop there. Verse 43, he goes back to the Old Testament. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is another throwback to Leviticus law. We're told to love our neighbor as ourself. And the teachers of the law would have continued to take that in the obvious direction of hating those who are against us. That's the norm. It's pretty easy for us to see where this would be the normal attitude, right? The normal attitude says, if somebody doesn't like me, I'm probably not going to like them either. Yeah? Doesn't that make sense? Somebody doesn't like me, I, I won't like them either. On the flip side, someone does like me. If they like me, I'm probably going to like them too and send them nice things. Jesus flips it again in verse 44. Jesus says, But I say, you've heard it said, love your enemy, or love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pastor Bob brought it up during prayer time of the reality that all around us, that word persecute, right? In 2019, in Clearfield, I don't think we know the severity of the word. But our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world that are so often hushed in our quest to fill our lives with so much more let me encourage you again, if you haven't signed up for the, the mailing list of Voice of the Martyrs, it's a great place to be reminded almost daily of what's going on within the church of Jesus Christ across the world. Jesus says, I say, I say to you, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. Stop for a moment. Think about the person in your head. Think about the person in your life that you really don't like. Think about someone you truly have issues with. Someone, someone you find it hard to spend time with. You know why Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you? You know why Jesus said, pray for those who are against you? Because if you and I would pray for that person regularly, pray for that group of people specifically, on purpose, you know what God can do? 
We think it's impossible, right? We think, I, oh, I just, you don't understand what this person has done in my life. You don't understand what they've, what they've done, who they are, what they believe, what they've said about the church, what they've said about God. I just can't do anything about them. We think it's impossible to pray for someone who's against us or against God. The reality is what's impossible is for us to continue to be mad or to write a person off, to, to let someone go, to just say, forget them, they're dead to me, if we're willing to bring them before the one who perfectly loves them. On a regular basis, because Jesus knew that love always overcomes pride and ego, and bitterness. Pray for those who persecute you. And then Jesus continues. He tells us what's going to happen if we do that. In that way, in verse 45, he says, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, both of you. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Can we get this... Can we start at this understanding? This is the point of the, these last three weeks that we spent together already. We, we like our assumptions, don't we? That when we have a problem with a, a specific person or a, a group of people or people that identify any certain way that's different than us, we have our assumptions that says, hey, if I don't like them and I'm on God's team, God doesn't like them either. Right? If I got a problem with, with this family member who only has negative things to say about my profession or my pursuits, if I've got this friend in my life who wants nothing to do with God, it's easy for me to say, yeah, God doesn't like them either. If we're honest, we'd rather Jesus tell us to despise and hate those who are against us. We'd rather Jesus tell us to despise and hate those who are against him, those who ridicule Christianity, those who laugh in God's face. Despise and hate those who despise and hate us. But instead, Jesus says, love them. Pray for them. Let's sum it up this way. If you don't if you don't take anything else out of this morning, take these words. Five words. Love has no exception clause. Let's start with that truth. Love has no exception clause. God is for everyone. God is yearning. He desires. His grace is so perfect, so broad, so available that he desires to be in relationship with every man, woman, and child. He loves those of us who are in relationship with him, and he loves those who are far, far from him. And again, here we are again in this reality, and I don't know that we believe it. You have a favorite kid? Don't raise your hand again. Well, we do this, right? We, we have favorites. We, when one of our children is doing the right thing and the other one is doing the bad thing, we talk about it. Can I tell you something? I am so glad God's God and I'm not. I would get it wrong. I, I think a lot of us have the mentality, the idea... <laughs> Of the second brother in the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is a great passage. 
It's full of lost things, lost parables, we call them. These are stories that Jesus tells, and uh, starting with verse 11, Jesus tells this parable. You've heard it a hundred times, and we love this parable. We love the love of God, exemplified in this story of the prodigal son, because the way the story goes is there's two sons and a father, and, and the one son, the bad son, comes to the father and says, Dad, you're dead to me. Give me my inheritance that's rightfully mine. I'm out. And this loving father gives him his half of the inheritance and lets the son leave the household. And the son goes, the story, Jesus tells the story. The son goes off and spends all of his wealth on wild living, partying, sinful lifestyle. It's very clear in scripture that he's not doing anything that his dad would be proud of. And this son literally finds himself penniless, broken, and in a gutter. Literally in a gutter, watching pigs eat. It's a beautiful story of redemption because this son who's stuck in the gutter comes to his senses and he says, oh, maybe my dad would take me back as a slave, as a servant in his household, and I could have access to food and shelter. Maybe my dad would show that kind of grace. And so he turns from the pig pen and begins his journey home. And the beautiful part of the story of the prodigal son is that the father doesn't wait for the doorbell to get rung. Luke 15 is powerful in the way Jesus tells the story that the father sees the son coming from a long way off. And he runs out to him. And he embraces him and he celebrates in the middle of the street and he goes bonkers and he goes crazy. He takes his own coat off and he puts it around his son and we celebrate that all the time, right? And then in verse 25, we catch up with the rest of the story that we're not nearly as familiar with or maybe not nearly as comfortable with when it comes to the second brother. Verse 25, meanwhile, Stephen was in the fields working. When he came back, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the other servants, what's going on? What is going on? And the servant responded, your brother is back. Your father's killed a fattened calf. He's, he's home. We're celebrating because of his safe return. And then Stephen is angry and won't go in. You see what happens when you personalize it? I would venture to say that a majority of us have some of that DNA from brother number two running through our veins. We think oftentimes that we are so close to the Father, we're doing what He wants, we're surrendered to His work for the most part. And we think things like, okay God, I'm so glad you're letting me on your team. We both know that brother number one is bad news. He's living in a way that is contrary to what you've called him to. He has said you're dead to him, God. Let's just, let's just take his pictures off the wall. God, he wants nothing to do with you, so we want nothing to do with him, right? God, I'm so glad you've got me to do your work. I'm so glad I'm here to help you in your fields. I'm so glad that I'm doing your work. Let's just forget about my other brother. And again, the parable teaches that God is watching, waiting for my brother to return home, to come back. 
Elsewhere in Scripture, in the New Testament, Jesus refers to the fact that the Good Shepherd would literally leave 99 sheep behind to go after the one that's in a precarious situation. We know these stories in the church. We celebrate them often, and we often remove ourselves from the reality that these stories of God's truth, the hope of grace offered through Jesus Christ, is available for everyone, (laughs) anyone. Unfortunately, we have taken the good news. We've received it. It's changed us. And we put it back away. Love has no exception clause. And if God's love has no exception clause, and if we are supposed to be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect, then how much more should our love not have exception clauses? God is for everyone. Hear me say this. Please hear me. If you are far from God, please know God loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter who you are. God is for you. He loves you. And God says to you and to me, brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to be for people. When people look at your life, they should be able to tell that when they come to you and me for comfort and support, for encouragement, that we should be the place that they find refuge and find hope, that it should be easy for them to approach us and see Jesus. Here's what I think we need to do as a church. We need to focus on how to love and not on what others do. Again, we've got to go back. I, I, we, want to ans- we, want, we want answers to questions, right? We want to know how far is too far. To be, how, what, what can I do to miss out on God's grace, Right? I'm back to elementary school when I used to ask my parents that question. How much bad can I do before God's upset? Dad, how far can I go over the speed limit before it's wrong? Let's focus on how to love others, not on what others do. Here's, here's what we, what we normally do. And if this describes you, welcome to the club because this is what we do. Most people in the church do this. We first look at what other people do. We look at how other people treat us. We look at what other people believe. We look at what other people say, what other, how they vote. We look at all those kinds of things. And once we see all the ways people do life, then we make a determination on whether they're in our club or not. Then we make a determination on how we're going to treat them. If they look like me enough, maybe they can polish up to be more like me. That's what a lot of people do. And Jesus says here, stop. Jesus says, that's my son. That's my daughter. Worry about you first. Celebrate with me, Jesus is saying in the story of the prodigal son. Celebrate with me that This one desires to come back. They still smell like pig. But I am embracing them. 
Jesus says, focus on how you love. Then focus on what others do. Why? Because the truth is, love has no exception clause. When we follow Jesus, we surrender the rights to get even. We surrender our rights to be bitter towards any other person. We surrender our rights to get even or to be unforgiving to any other person. We surrender our rights to gossip or to talk about any other person. We surrender our rights to treat our rights to treat any other person poorly. We surrender our rights, period, because Jesus is holding us. God is calling us to a higher standard to live. Will you stand? Here's where I want to dare you. We're closing. We're about to change gears. Welcome in some new members who may or may not want to be members anymore. (laughs) The pastor's kind of sweaty up here. They may not want to shake my hand. I don't know. I want to dare you. You remember remember being dared? Remember being dared on on the playground? We, we always dared each other to jump when we were swinging on the swings. Like, you're almost, you're almost horizontal with the bar. I dare you to jump. And unfortunately, there's no GoPros in the early 80s to prove that I took those dares. Here's your dare. Whoever it is, maybe it's an individual in your family, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's someone in your life, maybe it's a group of people. I don't know who it is for you, but there's someone, chances are, that today you would say, yep, I don't like them, and I wish you'd stop this message. Whoever that is, I, I, I dare you. You may not like what they're doing, what they're saying, how they're living their life. I dare you to show them the love of Christ. You already know Possibly, how, how it is you're supposed to express the love of Jesus to someone this week that you don't like. And I dare you. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know what could happen. Love has no exception clause. Show his love. Start there. Show his love and let God do his work. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good. We thank you. We thank you for your challenge in our lives. We thank you for the ways in which we acknowledge your presence. And we thank you for the truth that comes from your word. Lord, I just pray right now that we would be overwhelmed again at the opportunity you have given us to love like you. I pray that you would help us to steer clear of the the temptations that we face each and every day to rule individuals and groups of people out. Would you humble us in the reminder of the deep, deep love you have shown to us? And God, would you help us not to hold it to ourselves? God, for the men and women and boys and girls in this space today, that have someone on their heart even now in the closing of this time. God, I just ask that right here, right now, you would help them to acknowledge the opportunity they have to share and show your love. Would you remind us of the transformational opportunities that only your grace offers? And would you do a work 
Would you start with us? In Jesus' name I pray.